Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. Sometimes, in order to go forward, you must first take a look at your past. Graham Nash has a rich and undoubtedly storied history behind him, and he's recently released a live album titled Graham Nash Live, which features him performing his first two solo albums, Songs for Beginners from 1971 and Wild Tales from 1973. Both albums are performed in their entirety. Mr. Nash will also be performing at the Count Basie Center for the Arts in Red Bank, New Jersey on July 13th. Nash, however, has often focused on the future and he shows no signs of slowing down. While he's excited about this new live release, he's also recently published A Life in Focus, The Photography of Graham Nash, which showcases his longtime affair with photography. And as we learn in this interview, he's just completed a brand new solo album, which is due to be released in early 2023. But in this chat, Graham and I talk about why he chose to revisit his first two solo albums and the experience of retracing the footsteps he made nearly a half century ago. Of course, we also discuss the Hollies and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, making long-term musical relationships work, and how you can't really envision where you're going, unless you know where you've been. I, as you can see, I have my records here behind me. I'd like to show everybody where you live. I want you to know where you live back there. This is some kind of compilation that I've had for years. I'm actually, I don't, have, I don't have enough Hollies records, to be honest with you. Ah, ah. And this one I loved on CD as a kid. I, I grew up listening to this on CD, not so much on. You record. know, I, I, I just I just finished uh, singing on Alan Clark's solo record. Oh, really? Yeah, he's coming out in October, and I'm singing. I think I'm singing on all ten tracks. Wow! No kidding. That's going to be very exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, yeah. It's Here's very, what you see every day. It's yes, that's right. That was taken outside my uh, recording studio in Los Angeles. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, of course, I've got the uh, I've got the Crosby stuff, and let me tell you, I want you to know, I pay very close attention to my album covers. Did you know you're wearing the same T-shirt as Stephen Stills? On yep. Album cover. I don't know yep. if anybody have you ever. What's the story between you guys having the same T-shirt? I don't know if it's the same T-shirt or you you both had your own version of that T-shirt. Yeah, we all had our own version. That was the time we were hanging out with uh, with Jacques Cousteau. Oh, that's a Jacques Cousteau T-shirt. Yes, that's the red uh, red hat that Stephen is wearing. Also, that's right. That's the and he had his uh, maybe he had his orange Doxa watch. I love uh, I love the Jacques Cousteau style. He's such a cool guy. Right. So we're here today to discuss your new album, Graham Nash Live, uh, but also your upcoming appearance. I'm I'm in New Jersey. Uh, you're going to be at the Count Basie Center for the Arts in Red Bank on July yes. 13th, and that's very exciting. And the show features your two first solo albums played in their entirety. And what's the thinking, uh, you know, behind revisiting these two albums specifically now, uh, fifty years later? Well, this this is uh, the live the live album we're talking about. I did four shows where I came out and did songs for beginners from start to finish, and then took an intermission, and then did Wild Tales start to finish. So uh, the show that you're going to see on the thirteenth is is not that show. I will be playing some of the songs from that from that live record uh, because uh, I, I hadn't I hadn't done some of those songs ever or not in fifty years. So right. it was it was a it was a delight. Um, mainly at the encouragement of my wife, uh, uh, Amy Grantham, who's a, a, a wonderful uh, ain't, uh, artist. Uh, and she wanted to see that show. 
I want to go and see that show. You got to put that together. Right. And so uh, Shane Fontaine, my guitar player, and Todd Caldwell, who lives in Brooklyn here, my keyboard player, put together a band that I'd never, some of them I'd never met before. Right. And we only rehearsed for a week. And then we did the four shows. And I chose the best performances of, of, the, of the songs from those four shows. And that's what the live album is. And uh, apart from two small mistakes that I made myself, one on electric piano and one on my harmonica, uh, there are no overdubs on the record at all. It's exactly as it was. Which I love. I love that about live albums. I don't, I don't like when they're tinkered with too much. Right. But Songs for Beginners and Wild Tales, both of which I, I wish I had cleaner copies, frankly. My two are a little... They're a little you dark. have to rebuy them. Yeah, I have to mm. rebuy them. Well, I feel like they're both um, ripe for a audiophile, kind of a remastered audiophile uh, release. Have you guys talked about that with these two records? Yes, there is, there is one, of, 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 certainly, of Songs for Beginners. Yeah, Classic Records, I think, did it a long time right, uh, exactly, ago right. or so. Yeah, but uh, I think the other one could use it too. But, uh, you know, those were your two, only two solo albums until you released Earth and Sky in 1980. And you were making music, of course, during that time. But uh, why the long gap between uh, solo albums during those seven years at that time? I think basically what happens to me is that, you know, I have a bunch of songs and, you know, some of them... Uh, we, you know, the, the, the three and the, or the four of us have this kind of unspoken rule that, that we only do a song that, that everybody likes. Right. You know, we've all got to like the song before we can really put our heart and soul into it. Um, and so I had a bunch of songs. And at that time, CSN was still recording and CSNY was still recording. And, and um, it was just a long time in between, uh, in between Wild Tales and, and Earth and Sky. Um, but I, I just had a bunch of songs that I needed to get out of my system, you know, right. so I could get on with the new new stuff, clearing my memory, getting getting room for uh, for new new songs, right. uh, and that's what happened, and that's why there was such a long gap. You know, do you connect uh, with these albums differently playing them in their entirety nowadays? Does it give you a different immersion into the person that you were in the early 1970s? Do you still identify with uh, with who that 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 person was? Um, I, I do. On Songs for Beginners, uh, I, I, uh, I was in a pretty happy state of mind. And then, you know, Wild Tales, you can tell I, I was uh, kind of depressed. <laughs> um, it's a much darker record. Uh, you, look very, you look very funky on this album cover, for sure. You're not a happy guy over here. That's right. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why Atlantic... Uh, took a year to put it out they, they didn't they didn't want this record but it's funny and I'd, I'd heard that you know you sort of think of that record as you know you were in a kind of a funk at the time uh but if you listen to the album i think and and don't know that i i think there's still a lot of there's so much vitality in these two albums um and uh, you know you can really it if you didn't know that i think you you might not catch it really it's it's a uh, there's a lot to and you've got the sort of uplifting uh joni back cover there but um what, yes. what what great albums both of them really you know you can you can i appreciate that yeah i really did enjoy singing them because uh, you know i owe it to my fans to to sing uh, every song you know how many times i've sung teacher children in our house right <laughs> i want to sing them with the same passion i had when i wrote those songs because i think my audience deserve it particularly after this covid uh, lockdown you know right uh, a lot of people saved their actual tickets and to me, that meant hope. 
Right. That meant, yes, today the concert's been cancelled, but I hope it's going to get better tomorrow. And that, that's a great attitude to have. So I owe, I owe it to my audience two things. One, they need to know that I want to be there. Right. I'm not going to phone it in. I'm not going to have dancing girls, you know, throwing food in slow motion. I, you know, it's going to be me and my songs sung the best way I can. Right. Obviously right. accompanied by Shane Fontaine on guitar and Todd Caldwell on keyboards. Right. Um, you know, also in, in revisiting these two albums, as I was listening to them in preparation for this interview again after after a few years, it feels to me like if there were a young songwriter right now, uh, they would saw off their right arm to release two albums like these in this year. You know, what do you think about the fact that after 50 years, the style and the arrangements of these albums have endured so much? You know, you, you could definitely hear some kind of indie performer, indie songwriter coming up with a sound very similar to this. Absolutely. Um, I often wondered uh, why people really loved uh, Songs for Beginners in particular. And I realized that it, it, was, in, it was very simple. Mm. It was very direct. It was very uh, human, you know. Um, and I've, I've always tried to, to, you know, I don't want to waste your time playing you a song that sucks. Right. I mean, what's the point of that, right? right. So... Time is our only currency. It's the only thing that we really have. I mean, even Bill Gates, like I said in my book, even Zuckerberg can't buy a second right. of time. You know, so time is really important to me. And I don't want to waste any of it. So I don't want to waste it by singing you a song that, 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 that sucks. And I don't want to waste my time either. You know, a common thread of a lot of interviews that I've conducted with bands who have been together for a long time is how they maintain a positive relationship within the group for an extended period of time, much like a marriage. And it's been said that you're often the glue that keeps some of these groups together. Uh, and what advice would you offer, you know, or maybe you've been in a position to sort of give advice to someone, to another longstanding group, given your experiences with the Hollies and uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? What's the key to band longevity? I want to get the job done. Right. I'm, I'm English. We survived two world wars within 75 years of each mm. other from the same enemy. And when you've made it through two world wars, give me a real problem. Don't, right. don't, don't complain that your tea is not hot enough. You know, give me a real problem. And uh, today I've, I've, always, I've always wanted to get the job done. If we're making an album, Let's do it the best way we can. If we're singing this particular song, let's put our heart and soul into it. Let's get the job done. But other people's perceptions are different. You know, they they don't they may not see it that way, and it may be complicated. But obviously, you were a very good diplomat for a long time, being able to sort of get people to see that. Well, I've already, I'd already been in a hit group for six or seven years before I ever met David and Stephen. Right. I'd already been through the screaming fans, this fans ripping your shirt off, you know, tightening your tie and pulling it and nearly choking you to death. I'd already been through all that. So it was no big deal for me. Even when Crosby and I played Guinevere with one acoustic guitar and two voices to 500,000 people at Woodstock, it was no big deal for me. I'd already been through all that. So it, it stood me in good stead, you know, and once again, doesn't matter how much we uh, we don't like each other or we stab each other in the back or what, however you want to put it. The music is the most important part of our relationship by far. Right. 
You know, and it's interesting uh, reading your story online, at least, which whoever knows what's real online. But when you were in the Hollies, you were the member, as you just mentioned, you know, you remember this band who really wanted to, you were the person who wanted to explore new musical horizons while it seemed the others were more focused on, you know, making pop music and doing what worked for you guys at the time. So you left right. to start the new group. Uh, but uh, take us back to those days. And uh, it, it interests me that, you know, how hard it must have been to take that risk of leaving a very successful band with the ambition to create something else successful and it reminds me of young people now you know deciding to leave maybe one job for another but fearing that they won't be as successful in the, the new endeavor but do you remember that time of your life that that time sure. of risk that feeling of course i do when david and Stephen and i first sang together at, uh, in joni's living room all those years ago i realized a couple of things one that my life had changed completely and two, I would have to go back to England and leave the Hollies. And people thought I was absolutely crazy. Right. Why? You're leaving a bloody hit group with hit records and all those girls and all that money. Are you daft? But I'm a musician. Right. I have to follow my heart. And when I heard me and David and Stephen turn our three voices into one, and create this harmony sound that uh, uh, neither the birds or the hollies or the Springfield could match. Uh, I knew that my life had changed, and I knew that I would have to go back and undo everything. And I did. And I took a giant chance. But I had heard the possibility of what me and David and Stephen could do. Because not only did we have an incredible harmony sound, we had the songs. Right. And therefore, we knew that we were... Uh, on good firm ground yeah you knew you just it was in your gut you said this is something i can't pass up that's right yeah that's um, one of the reasons why you and i are talking right now that's right that's right as i said both of your albums uh sound so great the the original albums aside from the fact that mine are in lousy condition they sound really great um but how do you feel about formats nowadays you you know we, we talk a lot about records here um do you have nostalgia about vinyl now or have you embraced digital um how do you do you do you care? Is it something that you think about? Well, you have to you have to embrace uh, digital. It's it, that's the train I saw coming. You know, when I started Nash Editions, my printing company, in 1989, I right. realized what was happening and that we had to either, you know, get on the train or get run over by the train. Um, I do prefer vinyl. Always have done. Uh, the new live album is mainly on vinyl. Uh, I wanted it that way, and that's why it took about a year to, to bring out because, you know, there's an incredible increase in the demand for vinyl now, right. and you have to wait. Even, even huge artists, you know, people like Beyonce have to wait to get vinyl so that they can put out their records in the best sounding quality. And on that front, you know, another big bit of news for you is that you recently published your uh, collection of photography, A Life in Focus, the photography of Graham Nash. And, and I was fascinated to learn about your history with photography and, in fact, your involvement in developing methods to more accurately print computer-generated art and photography. And today, just like with music, like we're talking about, you know, with music, almost all photography is digital. Do you feel a nostalgia for analog with photography? Are there any uh, common threads between music and uh, photography that you think about? There are certain there are certain threads. You know, I, I you know I can look at a photograph of, of of say a beautiful shot of Yosemite by Ansel Adams, for instance. Right. And when I look into the clouds, 
I can imagine violas and violins playing. When I look at the dark areas where all, all, all the, uh, the, the, the tree roots are, I can imagine basses playing and cellos playing. I can imagine music when I look at a photograph. Uh, I don't think any one photograph has ever influenced my music, but I can certainly uh, uh, imagine music when I'm looking at great images. And as you, as you say, I started Nash Editions in 89, and, and that first printer is now in the Smithsonian. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And I, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age, so I take for granted a lot of uh, photography and, uh, of course, uh, digi- you know, posters. And now we have digital uh, billboards and everything nowadays. But um, I, I didn't realize your, uh, how involved you were in that. It kind of blew my mind. Oh, the concept that you can create something on a screen and it looks a certain way, but there was a time when you couldn't quite print that thing. It just lived on a screen. Right. And I need to get it off the screen to be able to show you. Right, right. And that, that's how Nash Edition started, really. Uh, a friend of mine, Charlie Wurenberg, who li- who's a scientist who lives in San Francisco, uh, said, hey, have you ever seen this Fuji printing machine? And so he put me in, t- in charge of, uh, of trying to find this Fuji uh, printing machine. And I actually en- ended up uh, uh, with a man called John Bellotta, who was running that Fuji printer, who then said to me, you know, this Fuji is not not it. The Iris 3047 is the machine you want. And that machine uh, changed my life. When I saw what that was doing, I realized that it could print photographs absolutely brilliantly. Uh, And uh, as I said, that first printing machine is now in the Smithsonian. As you may know, Judy Sill and her music has recently gained in tremendous popularity, and I'm a big fan of her music, and uh, I know you produced what was, I guess, her most successful single, Jesus Was a Crossmaker. Can you share any memories of working with Judy and and what you think about the fact that her her music has recently found a new audience? One of the reasons... why Judy's music is 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 being re reappreciated now is that she's a damn fine writer. Yeah, she was always very quiet. She opened up a tour for me and Crosby at one point, uh, so we traveled a lot together. She was very uh, she was very sharp witted. She was very uh, sense of humor was very dark. Mm. Uh, she knew that she was uh, a, 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 a person writing music that was not like anybody else's. Um, and as a matter of fact, after that tour was finished, I gave her my acoustic, uh, my, my, uh, my, my acoustic guitar. And so, uh, so Martin, is it like for sale or something right now? I, I yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. somebody said, I don't know who, who has possession of it right now. I don't either, but I, I gave it to Judy because she was great. Yeah, she is great. Those records are uh, are fantastic. Well, listen, back to the, the live album, you know, Graham Nash Live. It was recorded prior to the pandemic, as as we were talking about before. And, um, you know, what was it like sort of finishing that up and then getting that uh, the, the new album ready during? I guess you did it during the pandemic. And now now here we are. But um, obviously, the, how how disruptive obviously it was disruptive, but how disruptive was the pandemic to you personally? Uh, it, um, it wasn't it wasn't disruptive at all. No. I, I'm not, I don't go to parties. 
I don't go to, you know, stadiums where 80,000 people are watching somebody kick a ball around or throw a ball. Around. I'm not one of those people. Right. So it didn't really affect me that much, fortunately. I like to stay in my apartment. I like to be writing every day. I, write to be, I like to be making photographs and images every day. So it, 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 it turned out okay for me. Um, I was able to put, uh, uh, when, when, I, when I listened to the four shows, and I chose the best version of each song, I realized uh, quite quickly that, boy, this could be a really nice uh, live album because the band played beautifully. We all sang well together. Uh, there are no words on, 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 on the live album. That, I mean, right, there's no me. Uh, right, no dialogue. I, I, yeah, I, I welcome everybody and say, we're going to do songs for beginners. And then at the end of Wild Tales, I say goodnight to everybody. But there's no talking in between. It's just the music exactly in the same order as the records. Um, and I caught a, a whiff of the uh, plans. It sounds like you've got a new album in the works. Yes, I do. It's yeah. all finished. Oh, it is. Being, it's all done. It's, be, it's being mastered as we speak. So that's exciting. When's that? Uh, when do we uh, think you will we'll expect that? I think, I, you know, because of, of the live record and the promotion we're putting into that and into the book, I think this record won't come out until maybe early next year. <clears throat> that sounds like a long way off, but it's only six months. At six months. Well, I, until then, I will have to busy myself with, uh, with the rest of your catalog here. I have plenty to keep me busy. And uh, Mr. Nash, I really appreciate your time today. And it's really a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for all the, the beautiful music you've made over the years. And congrats on this live album and your photography work. And congrats on your new album in six months. Thank you very much, Evan. All right. I'll see you later, Graham. Peace. Bye-bye. Peace. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.